before I start, I just want to open it up with prayer, and then we'll get started. So, God, we love you. We thank you today, Father, for this Sunday. Thank you for the word you've given me for the Church of Compass and people listening online. I pray now, Father, for open ears, receptive hearts to the word and message you've given me, and that we'll all leave here changed for the better, knowing that you are better, Father. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so before I get into my message, key verses that I'll be preaching out of to give everybody a chance to catch up, um, so that way nobody's flipping back and forth, will be in Exodus 20, 1 through 17, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Romans 1, 21 and 23, and then Psalm 23. So this lets you know verses I'll be going to ahead of time, so nobody's having to play catch up. But this message is something that is called God is Better. I'm still in the title from Francis Chan because... God really is better. But the thing for today's message is going to be idolatry. So this message actually was dropped in my heart about two months ago. And it happened after watching, I was flipping through Amazon Prime and I came across The Cosby Show. Now who here remembers The Cosby Show? Yes, everybody. All right, the younger generation know, but a lot of us older people, we love The Cosby Show. I remember every Thursday night, sitting down with my family, turning on the TV and watching Bill Cosby and the Huxtables come together and just make us laugh and cry and a lot of different things. But I talk about idolatry with Bill Cosby because when I was little, he was the father I wanted to be like. I had my own parents and they were great, but Bill Cosby was the end-all be-all. What was great about the show was that it was very uplifting to the African-American community, and not just for them as well, but for anybody who was looking for a positive family role model. Bill Cosby was a doctor in this show. His wife, Claire, was a lawyer. They had several, several kids, I think, Sandra, Denise, Theo, Vanessa, Rudy, and each episode just revolved around just their life, looking at just relationships, looking at school, looking at balancing a career with family. And what was great is that he did this with comedy, and he did this with grace, and he did it cleanly. And I just loved watching these shows. And even a couple months ago when I was going back and looking at this, I was like, man, this was like really good writing and just really, really brilliant for its time. And I was like, that's what I want to be like for a father and a man. And even outside the show, even as a public figure, Bill Cosby promoted education. He was huge of sending people back to school and helping them get educated so they can make something more of their lives than what they were told they could be. And he had this amazing, amazing platform that he spoke from and this legacy that was amazing for so, so many years. But fast forward now, 2018. Mr. Cosby is behind bars right now because he was accused of sexual assault against many women and was found guilty. And it almost seems that entire legacy that he went and built has been just thrown away. And for a lot of people, they look to him and just be like, well, if he failed, what can I do? If he didn't make it, how can I make it? And I'm here to tell you right now, that's idolatry. So today's message isn't going to be one of those super uplifting messages. We're going to run around screaming yelling like, praise God. We will be praising God, but differently. Also, I don't have 12 to 15 points like Pastor Allen, so you're welcome on that. (laughs) Somebody, I like that. But this message will be more of a heart check, and this will be a lot harder because when we're getting to the heart of the matter, you got to do some digging, some deconstructing so that God can build it back up. Amen? So with that being said, what does idolatry mean? 
Now, when you first hear that word, you're going to think of what you read in the word and what you see in some third world countries. People bowing down and worshiping a giant statue. They might be singing to it, sacrificing animals to it, or um, a god or something like that. And that's true. That does happen in the world today. Several years ago, I was listening to uh, Pastor Craig O'Shell of LifeChurch.tv speak, and he was talking about going on a mission trip overseas, I want to say to Malaysia somewhere, and they were in this rural community and walking around. He comes across this guy who was sacrificing a chicken to a god. And, of course, Pastor Craig's like, hey, let me go talk to this guy and share Jesus. So he runs up to him and he starts talking with the guy. And they get into a little heated debate. And the guy stops at one point and is like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How can you accuse me of idolatry when I've been to the city, I've looked at the football games in America, and I've seen you all sitting in these stadiums with your faces painted and names screwed across your chest, screaming and yelling and giving your all to these football teams. Isn't that the same thing as idolatry is what you're describing right now? And when he dropped that line, it's one of those lines where if you can't say a man, you've got to say ouch, for sure. And so I sat there and I was like, ouch, that guy was right. So our definition of idolatry isn't so much bending down and worshiping a statue or anything. It's going to be anything or anyone who you're using to replace God in your life. So the two passages we'll come to first will be Exodus 20, 1 through 17, and then Matthew 22, 36. So Exodus 20 deals with the Ten Commandments. And it's something that if you went to Bible school, Sunday school, you probably had to sit and memorize them. I know I went to a Christian school, so this was one of many, many, many passages I had to memorize. But I'm not going to read the passage, but I am just going to summarize the commands because the passage is very lengthy. And the commandments, I'm asking you guys to look at the order of what's being said. You probably can't read this, but I list them out here, and they go as follows. Commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourselves an idol. Number three, you shall not misuse or use the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And after that, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall shall not bear false witness against your neighbor or tell a lie. And you shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. Now, when you look at these commandments, they're set up very specifically, and God was brilliant in how he did this. You notice the first four highlighted those. Those deal with your relationship with God. That was first for God when it came to his people. I'm to be number one in your first responsibility and relationship. Then the last six deal with your horizontal relationships or your relationships with your fellow man and your neighbor. And you might be saying, well, Keith, that's the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Covenant. Why would you keep doing that? I'm glad you all know my notes and are going along with this. You flip to Matthew 22, picking up in verse 36, we have Jesus echoing the same premise. In chapter, in chapter 22, he is talking with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're trying to trip him up and make him mess up so they can find something to hold against him. And one teacher of the law comes up and says the following, picking up in verse 36, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Jesus was echoing the same idea that God is to be first in our lives and then everything else is to follow. But 
we are human, and a lot of times we want to worship the creation over the creator. And this is something that's repeated all throughout Scripture. Paul, in the book of Romans, writes this letter to a church he has not visited yet. And it's an interesting read because he is actually making arguments that he believes they will have at this church, and then he's answering them in this letter. And when it comes to worshiping the creator, creation over the creator, in Romans 1, 21 through 23, we have the following. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals and reptiles. Paul saying nothing has changed when it comes to humans. We want to worship the creation over the creator. And so idolatry is still prevalent today. And it's not as blatant as you would say, seeing in scripture as it is in our Western culture. It's a lot more insidious. Just think about just the sports reference. Um, We don't have people who bow down and worship statues or anything today in America. Well, sorry, Bama fans, but I know at Bryant Denny Stadium, y'all got two statues out there that they love bowing down and worshiping the bear and Coach Saban. But Auburn fans, we're not much better. We got four statues outside of our stadium, too, that we love going to and praising. But if you really think about it, um, all joking aside, these are things that we have to look at. And the list I'm about to give you is not extensive. It's not every single sin or idol that can be out there. But these are ones that God laid on my heart to share with everybody. So the first one, sports. How many times have we gone and moved our schedules around to go to different sporting events or to go and see somebody play or do all these things? And then when it's time for Bible study or Sunday, we're like, I don't feel like going. I'm tired. I'll catch it online or I'll just skip this week. It's no big deal. I remember I was leading a Bible study uh, several, several years ago, and it was on a Thursday night, and that year, Auburn had the one random Thursday night game, and my friends the week before were just like, yo, Keith, man, are we going to have Bible study or cancel because the game's on, we need to cancel and like hang out and watch the game, and for a second, I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, we'll just cancel and do that, but then Holy Spirit witnessed to me and just was like, Keith, you committed to having Bible study once a week. Are you going to choose to do the Bible study or do the game? And I sat there and I was like, ooh, okay. So I went to my friends and I said, guys, we're going to have Bible study. And naturally, everybody got mad at me. They're like, Keith, how can you? It's Auburn football. we got to be there and support our team. It was an away game, but we still got to be there to support our team and watch the game. And I said, look, we committed to having this Bible study on Thursday nights. We already fellowship and hang out during the week and on the weekends. We, will, we even watch football on the weekends too. But one day a week we come together and study the word. And I'm choosing right now to honor that commitment to God. Now for the rest of you, if you want to go and do that, that's fine. But there will still be Bible study. And my friends, of course, gave me a lot of flack. They're like, well, I'm not coming. Nobody's going to show up. And I said, that's fine. If it's just me here, I'm going to sit and dive into the word. If it's five people here, I'm going to dive into the word. If you all decide to come here, we're going to dive into the word, but we are going to commit to studying the word because that is what God calls to do. So like I said, um, we had Bible study, had a great time, and my friends who wanted to go watch the game, watched the game, and those of us who wanted to study Bible got together and studied the Bible. But I mentioned sports because, especially down here in the South, football, soon basketball will preoccupy a lot of our thoughts and our time, and 
we have to check our hearts to make sure that we are not putting that event or that activity above worshiping and seeking after God. Secondly, money and our jobs. This is huge here because a lot of people say money is the root of all evil. That is not correct. It is the love of money is the root of all evil. But money is something that makes people ambitious and wants more and more. And when it comes to it being an idol, if you are spending more time trying to earn more and grow your business more and do all these things more and more while neglecting the ministry that you have at home with your family, I have to ask you, are you really doing this to honor God or to make more of your name? Ambition is not a bad thing. But the question I would ask you is, are you putting that above the ministry that God's placed before you? And not just coming up here on stage and preaching or running a church, but for a lot of people, your ministry is going to be your family. Are you spending more time trying to make more money and make more money and have more and more stuff at the expense of losing and spending time with your family? Amen? And then another idol, relationships. And these could be romantic or friendships, but I've heard a lot of people say, I'm looking to find that person who completes me. And there is no phrase that aggravates me anymore except for Roll Tide. But that one right there, you complete me, is just kills me because you're putting this burden, this weight on this individual to come into your life and fix everything about you. And when you do that, you're going to weigh them down. And when they fail you, it's going to destroy you. So we have to be careful when we look at these relationships and idolize these people looking to complete us and to fulfill us because there's only one person who can fulfill us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must be careful with these relationships not to put that pressure on people unnecessarily because they're human and they will fail. And then lastly, and this one's going to hit home for a lot of us here, as Christians, we will elevate pastors into places of idols. And we have this culture here in America where we have this pastor who is over this gigantic church or church in general, and we look up to them and we make sure that they are perfect and that they do everything right, and we try to mimic their lives. But what happens when they fall into sin and they fall from grace? For a lot of people, that rocks their faith, and they end up walking away from God because they believe that this man who was their pastor was perfect and was so much like Jesus, and when he goes and fails them, their faith is all but wiped away. I remember just looking back over the years and looking at pastors who rose to high in prominence and had these massive, massive ministries, and then they would be caught up in some kind of scandal where that would be um, an affair or alcohol or drugs or even abuse of power. And then you see these churches closing and their flock heading out into the community, into these other churches. I was reading an article related to this, and they were interviewing pastors who were dealing with the fallout from one of these churches. And the pastors were kind of heartbroken because while their numbers in their church grew tremendously, they spent a lot of time shepherding and counseling all these people who had been broken and hurt by these pastors. Not to say we shouldn't look up to our pastors because like Pastor Allen and myself, we are called to a higher standard, and we will be judged differently because we are teachers and preachers of the word. But I'll tell you right now, I am not perfect. I have my struggles. I have those places that I work on to try to be better, and I try to live out my life like Christ would have me do it, but I do not do it perfectly. But thank God for God's grace and mercy so that I continue moving forward and continue to do the job that he has called me to do. So, now that I've gone and stepped on some people's toes, I'm seeing some faces and people are just like, I don't like you right now, Keith. You called me on some things. Let's talk and do some work. 
So the initial response to something like this would be to push back. Keith, that's not me. I don't do that. That's not an idol. How can you say that about me? Um, stop judging me for my actions. I'm not judging or trying to make people feel guilty. I'm just sharing what God has told me to share with you. Idolatry is hard because pride will get in the way because, like I said, these things are a lot more insidious and we don't see them quite as clearly. And before we know it, we are wrapped up in this idolatrous um, affair with whatever it may be, relationship, money, relationships, whatever it may be. So when it comes to this, I'm asking you just to keep an open mind, breathe, and then pray. Seek the Holy Spirit. Let him show those areas of your life where you need to turn over and not have these idols in your life so that you can step into the fullness of life that God offers. Like I said, this is not an easy message because I don't have like, do this step, do this step, do this step, do this step, and you'll be free. This is one where you have to go and really get alone with God, spend time in prayer, and ask him to reveal those areas of your life and show him where you might have built an idol in your heart that you may not be aware of. So when it comes to idolatry, it really boils down to what are you giving glory to? A lot of times, we want to be the point. I want my name to be known. I want to be recognized. I, 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 me, me, me. I want to be known. Because when we admit it, when people praise our name and give us glory and say good things about us, it makes you feel good. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel good and seeking people's approval at times. But God is the only one worthy of our worship and our glory because he created all things. And we have taken those things that he's created and made them into idols. C.S. Lewis says this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels, it will seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. That one line there, our desires are not too strong, they are too weak. That one hit me like a ton of bricks. And then when I look back at Genesis 1 and just God creating everything, Genesis 1, again the Bible starts with, in the beginning, God. Before there was anything out there, before there was an earth, before there were stars, before there was even humans, there was God. And he goes and creates everything you see. The planets, the stars, the sun, the moon, the seas, the valleys, the oceans, animals of the land, sea, and air, and even his crowning achievement, man, he creates. But if you notice, nothing he created was as glorious as him. And so he wanted everybody to continue to worship him because nothing he created was as glorious as he was. And so we have to keep this in mind that God is worthy of our praise and worthy of our honor and glory because he is the one who created everything. And for many of you, you will have this discontent in the story of your life because you are trying to find satisfaction in things of this world, whether that is drugs or alcohol, relationships, food, sports, whatever it may be. But you were made to find soul satisfaction, complete satisfaction in God himself. And until you get a revelation of that, you will continue to struggle. You will try these things, and they might make you feel good for a little bit. But after some time, you're either going to need more of that to get that same joy, to get that same pull, or you're just going to be felt left being felt empty. And God is saying, I am the one that you can find joy in. And when you find that joy in God and you really are rooted in that, 
the life that you're leaving will change for the better. Amen. So you're sitting here and thinking, all right, Keith, you said some good stuff, but does God really want to be glorified? Show me a scripture. God, y'all are just on my notes today. I love it how y'all are just with me on it. And the answer is yes, 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 yes. God, God wants to be glorified in Scripture. You can. I'm just going to give out a handful of Scripture right now, but there are passages upon passages upon passages that talk about God getting glorified, and we can just name a few right now. <clears throat> in the book of Ex- in the book of Exodus, we have the ten plagues, and each plague was geared at a certain Egyptian god, and God was showing the Egyptians and the Israelites that He was above any god out there, and He was doing that. So he would be glorified in this. First Chronicles 16, 25, 27 says the following. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. If you read the Psalms, they are all beautiful, beautiful poems and hymns written to God to praise and glorify his name. Isaiah 43 says that we... That being, mankind was made to bring God glory. Jesus says in the Gospels that when he is glorified, his Father God is glorified as well. And then in the book of Revelation, one day when we are all called onto God, we will gather as one nation, as one tribe, and we will praise and glorify God to the end of days. Amen. So God is to be glorified because he is good and because he is God. So... One more passage I want to point everybody to would be Psalm 23. And this is one I feel like everybody knows because you had to memorize this or you have it on a coffee mug or on your refrigerator at home. And we're all going to say this together because I think it's such a powerful psalm. So let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me. Amen. 23rd Psalm, one that everybody knows, but... I want to show you something here to show you that God is still looking to be glorified. So, start off with, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. How great a promise is that, that in Christ, in God, we lack nothing. We are giving everything we need, we are given provision, and he looks after us. Next, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. It is a joy knowing that in Christ there is peace, there is love, there is grace, and we have nothing to fear or worry about when he offers these things to us. He refreshes my soul. He restores. He, he refreshes my soul. How many of us here are going day to day, feeling worn out and feeling beat down by the world, by what's going on in our lives, when God is saying, come to me for I am the living water, I am the living bread, and I will refresh and refresh you and nourish you as only I can. He guides me along the right paths. At one point, uh, before we had the Holy Spirit, they had the prophets. And any time God was going to rule down judgment on the nation of Israel or Judah, he would send the prophets ahead of time to tell the people to turn back to him, to come back and follow him and stop following their ways, following the idols, following the ways of the people of the land of Canaan. But now, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us not lose track of where God's hand is guiding us. He is always with us, and he promised to guide us in those right paths. But God does all these things, and for that next line, for his name's sake. 
everything that God is doing, everything that he wants to do in you, the blessings of provision, of peace, of grace, of mercy, of, um, if, I'm sorry, of all these things that he is looking to do and bless us with. He isn't doing this so he can make more of our names. He's doing it so he can make more of his name. And that is the underlying theme of the Bible. Everything that God's doing isn't to build up his creation. It is to build himself up. And it seems completely, completely ridiculous that God would need all that praise and glory. But he knows that if you give it to man, we have this poor tendency to get a little bit of power and to run wild with it, looking to make more of our names and forgetting everybody else behind us. Yes, God is for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to see you prosper. He wants to see you grow in his ways and to love him more and more. But ultimately, everything he's doing is for his name to be glorified and not your own. John Piper has this quote, and I wish Jordan was here because he's a fellow Piper fan like me. And this is something I'll use to like bring myself back whenever I find myself drifting away from the hand of God or trying to do things my own way. And the quote goes like this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Mm, that's a good one. I'm going to say that one again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God wants us to be completely satisfied in him. It's not something that he's looking to um, hold over us or lord over us, but God wants us satisfied because he knows that we cannot find satisfaction in any idol or anything that he has created. We are here to enjoy his creation, yes, but not to the point where we're seeking our total, complete satisfaction in those things. And when we find our satisfaction completely and solely in God, he is glorified in our lives. So let us leave here, not being a people solely con um, wrapped around our idols with money or relationships, even sports, whatever it may be for you. But let us be a people who are seeking to glorify and worship God with our lives, with our words, with our actions, so that people may see our good works and give him all the praise. Because we know that when we are giving these idols over and turning them all to God to be redeemed, something glorious, we know that we do it because God is better. And now um, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to have the band come up right now and just thinking about this message and how when I was writing it and I finished it on Thursday, I was talking with some friends and they asked how it was going. And I said, it's going really well. But I have a feeling I'm going to get up on Sunday and have to speak on something else because everything's been weighing heavily on my heart. Yesterday we had a shooting in Pittsburgh at a synagogue um, there were bombs sent out to various politicians or political supporters. There have been all kinds of craziness and madness, even in our own community, with um, families that are broken, murders, kids who are being abused, families that are dealing with abuse. Even as we look throughout the rest of the United States, it's just madness going on. and just, it breaks my heart. The enemy's trying to come in here and trying to disrupt everything and to divide this nation and keep us from really pursuing God. And I'm just feeling that we as a church need to come together and stand together and just let people know that God is better. A verse that was dropped on me when I was preparing for this is 2 Corinthians 4. Picking up in verse 7. But we have this treasure in clay jars 
so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be visible in our mortal flesh. Yes, there's a lot of darkness out there and it's craziness out there. But even as I look across this crowd and I see a lot of happy faces, I know for a lot of people it's a mask. You're hurting, you're suffering, you're going through something and you don't want anybody to know. But church is a place where you can come and you can let others bear that burden with you. You can come and be open about what you're struggling with and receive prayer and receive healing here. So the band is going to play another worship song, and this is a time for prayer. If you want to come down front and pray at the altar, you can. If you want me or Stephen going to come down and pray, we can pray for you. But even more so than that, I don't want this to be about coming to a certain place and have a certain person pray over you. You guys are the church. Me and Stephen have nothing special with our prayers. You all are powerful prayers. So if you don't want to come down front and be recognized, you can just raise your hand. If you need prayer, you can raise your hand. And if you see somebody's hand near you, go to them and pray with them. Because you all have connections to God too. No more different than me and Stevens. And it's time you start walking out that gifting. So before we get into this worship, if you want to come down, you can. But if you want to stay with you all right and just receive prayer, just raise your hand right now if you want to receive prayer where you're at right now.